It's really good to see you. I want to kind of give you a heads up. A lot of you here this morning are new. That's just what happens this time of year as people are moving into Evanston. Some are getting ready to start school. Some are starting new jobs. But for a variety of reasons, this is the time of year where there is a lot of new people visiting our church. So if you're new, I want you to know that you're not alone. But we want to see you connect. It's great that you're here worshiping, getting in the word with us, but we want to see you connect with one another. So if I, if I could ask you to hold on for three more weeks, in three weeks we're going to start our ethos communities back up, and that's where we connect, and jump in, and encourage one another, and get in the word. And you might say, well, I'm new, and everybody's just used to this. They've been doing it forever. Most people in here right now, I wouldn't say most, a, a significant amount of you are new right now. So be encouraged. The person sitting next to you may be new. Three weeks, jump into one of our ethos communities, then you get a feel of what we're really like as a church. But I also know that some of you are in transition right now, and I know in the midst of the transitions, there may be a lot that you're going through. Uh, perhaps there is some drama going on in your life right now, or about to get in the Word. And so, what's it going to look like when your drama crashes with the Word? Well, let's see. Let's ask God and to bless our time. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and the people you have brought here today, including me and my brothers and sisters and those who are just visiting for the first time, who may know the Lord, who may be seeking and investigating, there's no mistake that you have us here, and there's no mistake uh, that you are going to speak to us through your word, and I just ask you to help us to hear what you want to say, and there's no way that we can just set aside our drama, there's no way we can set aside our problems, our thoughts, the loops that keep going on in our head right now of maybe discouragement, depression, whatever it is, Lord, I just ask that you would speak through all that by the truth of your word, by the power of your spirit, and enable us to listen in such a way that we can truly hear with our hearts and bring you glory and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Life will load you up. Life will load you up, whether it be through bad news, the compounding nature of problems that come one upon the other, discouragements. You and I can both agree that life will load you up. And perhaps right now, life is kind of pressing on you harder than normal. I know I sound like a broken record, and I hope to cease this uh, business of a broken record because I keep telling the same stories from the past year as I have felt like this past year has been more difficult than other years where life has indeed loaded me up. So I'm going to tell the three looping stories that I've told a few times here and I'm hoping with the end of 1 Samuel these stories will be done and my problems will all be solved until the next batch of problems. But this past year we... Um, I have six kids. Yes, I know. Uh, the, the sixth child, uh, we love him. He um, has been with us for, for about three and a half years. He's uh, our, our hope to soon be son. Uh, he's in the foster care system, and he's had a variety of problems, um, and, and it's created some tension in the family. 
as he has, we've been working through some of the issues for specialists, and it's a long, long story. We've been dealing with the legal system and all the drama with that and the workers and court, and so it's, it's, it's created a lot of tension at our home. So just imagine our home, like when I go home, I don't just, oh, pastor, you must just go home and must be so peaceful in your home. Never. So I go home, and the tension is high already in our home. Uh, and then I, I told you this story many times before, but my, my son, number one, not, doesn't mean in privilege, but number one in age, the oldest one, uh, is 16. He, remember I told you he was on a golf course. Uh, he was at a, a, a match, and a, a golf ball hit him in the head, right? He was gushing blood, and he had to go to the ER to get staples. And, but the, the bummer thing about that is it gave him a concussion where he had to miss days and weeks and I think a couple months of school was terrible. So you have the tension of child number six, and then you have the concussion of child number one. And then, um, I've said this before, but as an aside, um, for those of you who are married, um, marriage is hard, right? Yes, yes. Do not lie. So marriage is hard. Marriage is hard during normal times, right? So then you compounding nature of child number six, child number one, and, and everything else. And so that makes marriage harder, more tension. So I have the compounding nature of this past year pressing, pressing, pressing down on me. And, 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 and you know what I'm talking about, right? There are seasons where life will just load you up. And there seems to be no escape and you're, you're feeling the pressure pushing you down more and more. And sometimes you just want to know, uh, what am I supposed to do? That's one of the things I've been asking during this past year. What do, what do you want me to do? God, what, do you want, what am I supposed to do? I can't fix this stuff. What do you want me to do? And so finally, I have, I have come to a passage in the Bible, and I'm hoping this morning to encourage you on what to do. Because, my brothers and sisters, I'm not here to take the load off your shoulders. I'm not here to fix all your problems. If you came to church to have all your problems fixed, I'm just not going to be able to do that. And it may even get worse after today. But hopefully, you can find some semblance of encouragement of what you're supposed to do when life loads you up. But even more than that, I'm hoping that you will see of what, what God is doing What's he doing when life is pressing down? What's God like when life is just really loading you up? And, and believe it or not, we're going to find this encouragement through a, a terrible story where life was really loading up this guy in the Bible, and his name was David. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, uh, we'll be in 1 Samuel 30. And if you can't find that, it's, it's really okay. It's at the beginning kind of the Bible. You can look at the table of contents. Look on next to the person. And for those of you who are new, this is what we do. We preach through books of the Bible. We've spent almost a full year in the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. And when we're done with 1 Samuel, then we'll go, let's study a book in the New Testament. And then we'll go and study the book of James. And then we'll go back to the Old Testament. And we'll study the book of Ezra next summer. And then we'll go back to the New Testament. And next fall, Lord willing, we'll study the book of Revelation. You can't, that's just, we're just going to go back and forth. That way, I don't just go to work each week thinking, huh, I, what, what do I want to preach? What do I feel like preaching? I don't have the decision. It's already made for me. 
what text comes next is what you get. Just to show you, I don't have an agenda. So if God gets into your business today, don't blame me. It's just the text. (laughs) So we're in 1 Samuel, and we are going to look at the story of David and what he does in the midst of a terrible situation when, when life is really loading him up. But get this. Just for fun, we're going to contrast David's response to the pressure of life with the response of King Saul. I don't want to spend a lot of time on King Saul because we have been studying Saul for the, the past three or four months, and he has made a, a history of, of bad moves and mistakes. But I'm going to contrast David's response to King Saul's response when life loads both of them up. Now, I want to make sure that you also understand another thing, another caveat here. I'm not just saying, hey, Christians, be like David. Because that's not going to work so well when we come to 2 Samuel, right? No. So I don't want to say just be like David. What, what I'm getting at is I'm pointing to David because David is pointing to a greater king, and that is King Jesus. And how did King Jesus respond when life loaded him up? And poverty and suffering all the way to the cross, bearing the wrath of God. So we're ultimately going to keep our eyes on King Jesus, and that's where we're going to land. But in order to get there, we're going to consider these two kings, King David and King Saul. So we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 30. King David is returning from battle that he didn't have to fight in. God spared him. He didn't have to fight on the side of the Philistines against uh, the Israelites, so he must have felt a tremendous amount of relief. But his high is going to soon come crashing down. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They have overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. As David and his men return to Ziklag, they find that their enemies, the Amalekites, have destroyed it with fire and their families have been taken into captivity. So it's horror upon horrors. The city is burned down. But to make it worse, their wives and their kids are off into captivity. And it gets even worse for David. Look at verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. City is burned. That's not good. Wives, children taken into captivity. But now the remaining men want to kill David. You you see, life is loading David up. You got it? So you have have the, the city's burned, wives and children in captivity, and top it off, now the men want to stone and kill David. What's he going to do? How's he going to react to the pressure? Well, so far we've been studying this guy named King Saul, and we've seen how he responded to the pressure. 
Remember when the Philistines were attacking him back in chapter 13? Rather than waiting on direction from the Lord, Saul went ahead and, and pushed through an inappropriate sacrifice. And ultimately, he was judged by trying to take matters into his own hands. Back in chapter 28, we saw Saul under pressure again from the Philistines. And the Lord didn't come through, so he, he, he went and consulted a witch. Not a good idea. We see him consistently, time and time again, when he's fearful and under pressure, he's failing to make the right move. And King Saul, he's just seeking the world. But finally, we come to the, a good king. Finally, we see a king who demonstrates the right way to live. And many people believe, this is really cool, that at the same time that King Saul was seeking the witch, the medium, to consult the dead, at the very same time, David was seeking the Lord. So let me just show you a little contrast here before we jump in. We have King Saul seeking the world and King David seeking the Lord, both experiencing pressure, both experiencing the weight of problems, both experiencing life, getting them down, and yet two different responses. Look at what David did. Look at verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I'm sure he was just as fearful as Saul was, but instead of turning to the ways of the world, he turned to the Lord. And notice that the text says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is not just the God of Israel, but this is his God. David has a personal connection to God, and he's likely remembering God and his promises to him as an anointed king. He strengthened himself in the Lord by coming to him in prayer and seeking his face. So when life pushes you down and weighs you down, where do you go? Because you're going to feel weak. You're going to feel inwardly just that yucky, nasty feeling of just emptiness. Where are you going to go? We're all going to go somewhere. Are you going to find it in the ways of the world? Will you say, I remember talking to a guy who ran the movie theater here at Evanston. He says, you know what? No matter what people are going through, they can always come in here for two hours and watch a movie and forget everything. Yeah, but that two hours is going to end. Where do you go for strength? Do you get lost in hours on the internet? Do you get lost in a good book for strength? And I know some of you take more of the extreme measures that are harming you, getting caught up in some addictions. Where do you go when life is pushing you down? Where do you go for strength? David went to the Lord. He sought the face of God. He found himself strengthened in the Lord. Practically speaking, that means that he's praying and he's seeking the face of God. Practically speaking, that means when you feel weighed down, I'm just asking, I'm just wondering, when you feel pressed down, when life is bogging you down, do you get in the Word? <laughs> is your first response to pray? I'm just asking you, is that your first response? I, I know when life was, was pressing me down this past year and I was feeling weak and empty and just blot out, I, I thought, okay, I like to watch TV. Maybe TV is going to encourage me a little bit here. So I'd watch TV and like, that's not helping. 
This is not strengthening me. It's, I'm still just as discouraged as I was before I started watching TV as after. It's not giving me strength. But I found myself going to the Word and being strengthened. Strengthened by such passages from the book of James. You know what James says in chapter 1? He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I found myself encouraged by that, the trials I was going through, that God was strengthening me, producing steadfastness in me. That's what God's word to me was in my trial. And I found myself strengthening in the Lord. It seems like that should be our natural response, but our natural response is to turn to the world when we should turn to the Lord for strength. Look at some of the specifics of what David did in verse 7. And David said to Abathur the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abathur brought the ephod to David. So David, he's seeking the face of God through this ephod, which is just a, a certain garment that a priest would wear that would have the urim and the thummim, which is a, a form of lots that were consulted to inquire of the Lord. Verse 8, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David goes to the Lord to be strengthened. He consults the Lord. The Lord speaks truth to him, guarantees his success, and David goes off in search of the wives and children while he is strengthened through the guidance of the Lord. I know some of you who have grown up in in church, and you have a uh, misconstrued of perhaps what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say, go to the Lord so you can have a psychological boost I'm not telling you, go to the Lord like you would go to coffee so you can get a little pick-me-up just for a a bit (laughs) before you crash. I'm telling you this. God is real. I'm, I'm sure of it. You can know him through Jesus. You can actually seek his face, not for a psychological boost, not for, oh, I just want to feel inspired. I'm not talking about any of that touchy-feely junk. I'm not talking about that, just that weird inspiration. I'm talking about this is a real relationship where you are feeling weak, bogged down. You go to the real God who exists, you approach him through Jesus, and you really find strength and encouragement, and wisdom from God. This is not make-believe. This is not make me feel better. This is real life, real stuff, coming to a real relationship with God to be strengthened. That's what David is doing. That's what I want to find myself doing. That's what I want to see you doing. When you're getting pressed down, when life is bogging you down, you go to a real God and find real strength. That's what happens. So David is assured hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to find your wife and kids. So David sets off but gets to a slow start. Look at verse 9. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Basur where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted across the brook Besser. 
Oh, this, is, this is terrible. So he's strengthening the Lord. He's pumped up. He goes and looking for the wives and the kids. He goes to 600 men. 200 are left behind. They're too exhausted. He leaves them there. So how in the world is David ever going to find the Amalekites? We're in the desert. We're talking needle and haystack. How is he supposed to find these guys? He sets off. 200 guys are left behind. The Lord has told him, you're going to find him. You're going to rescue him. And David's just trusting God and his providence that somehow he's going to have a break in the case. And a break comes. Look at verse 11. They found an Egyptian. Now, I don't want you to add to God's word, but feel free to put the word random before the word Egyptian. They found a random Egyptian in the open country, the needle in the haystack. They found him and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived, for he, was, he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by, the, by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you to this band. So they find this random Egyptian just laying in the wilderness, and he's left for dead, and he just so happens to be connected to the Amalekites. This is clearly the providence of God working out the details so David can find the Amalekites and recover his people. That's what David was dependent upon. If I told you, go out into the desert and find some random guy, you would, I mean, here's David. He's walking. He's looking for his people. doesn't know where he's going. God is guiding him. And under God's providence, he finds this guy, which is going to be the lead to the Amalekite camp. Under the providence of God, David is dependent. Unlike King Saul, throughout this book, we have seen the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, and King Saul acting deceitfully, trying to manipulate circumstances, lying, covering up, making excuses, going to witches through deceit and conceit over and over and over again. And I'm just wondering, when life starts pressing on you, when life gets you down, do you find yourself saying, okay, God's still in control here. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to depend upon him as I walk along in this wilderness. Or are you going to be like King Saul? And understand that God is sovereign and in control, but you're going to try to take some things into your own hands and manipulate and deceive to make the outcome happen the way you want I am 43 years old, and I have discovered, uh, you know, as you get older, you start discovering stuff about your family and your heritage, and I have discovered that there is a generational sin in my family, if there are such things, a generational sin of trying to manipulate outcomes. Anybody with me? Anybody got a generational sin like that in your family where there's trying to deceive and manipulate outcomes? So, for example... If, let's say I tell my kids we're going to go to the zoo, and yet when the day finally comes, I don't want to go to the zoo. 
but I can't just tell my kids I don't want to go to the zoo, so I've got to manipulate the outcome. Let's say there's a 30% chance of rain. I tell my kids, you don't want to go to the zoo. It's probably going to rain. But if you want to go, we'll go. I tell my kids, I hear there's a lion loose at the zoo. <laughs> He's been eating some children, but if you still want to go, we'll go. Does anybody operate like that in life? You're like, you don't say what you want to say. And so you want to try to twist and turn and manipulate and deceive and make the outcomes, the outcomes you want? That's Saul. But David's like, all right, here we go. I'm going to walk in this wilderness. I don't know what's going to happen. But God, under your sovereignty, I'm going to trust that you're guiding me, you are directing me, and you have a life of dependence. I wish I could tell you on this earth how your future is going to end. I realize there are unresolved situations. I realize there are unresolved relationships. I know there's things that are not clear to you now. I just want to encourage you, while you wait and wander in the wilderness, depend upon God and His sovereign control. Don't try to manipulate and deceive and tweak things in your favor. Trust God's control. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 16. And when he had taken him down, that would be the Egyptian, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So the servant brings them just to the right spot of the Amalekites. They're celebrating their victory, but David's about to crash the party. Verse 17. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. I know some of you haven't been with us for a long time or ever here at this church if we've been studying 1 Samuel, but God has given a command in the past to destroy all the Amalekites for the way they have acted wickedly to Israel in their past. And David is coming in. He's just slashing, dashing. He's killing them left to right. This is the good command of God to kill Israel's ancient enemy. It was the same command given to Saul. But Saul, rather than follow through, if you remember, in chapter 15, he did not devote everything to destruction. He saved back specifically the leader of the Amalekites, and they continued to prosper. He didn't think it was that big of a deal to follow through and obey the commands of God. So you can, once again, pressure's on. Time to obey. What does King Saul do? Nonchalant. Ah, let's kill a lot of them, but not all of them. Ah, it doesn't really matter. God may have commanded him. We did good enough. Just nonchalant. And yet David, deliberate, goes in, boom, let's get these Amalekites as many as we can get, obeying the commands of God for the anointed king of Israel. And the connection here to the believer is very obvious with regard to dealing with problems and pain and sin in your own life. You can let these things linger. You can ignore them. You can choose not to give any attention to them. You can act like it's no big deal. Or you can aggressively put sin to death by the power of the Spirit. You can deliberately obey or ignore. I know there are situations in your life right now that you need to deal with. There are sins and situations that you're in right now that you need to face head on. You don't need to be nonchalant about it. You need to be deliberate about it. 
If it's sin, putting to death. If it's a relationship that needs to end, it needs to end. I mean, there is some deliberate action that needs to take place. And if it doesn't, if you're nonchalant in dealing with some of these things in your life, it will just get worse like the Amalekites. This past summer, I have been dealing with a running injury. Now, when I tell you that I run, don't, don't be too impressed. I barely hobble along uh, the lake on jogging and walk most of the time, but I'll call myself a runner for the story. So just I've been dealing with this running injury. It's uh, a high heel injury, not the Achilles, not the bottom, high heel. I've never had it before. And I, I'm, since I'm a doctor, I've self-diagnosed myself through the Internet. And um, I've noticed that it told me that with this injury, you need rest and physical therapy. And I'm like, uh, yes, but the sun finally came out in Chicago. I'm not going to rest, and I'm not going to do physical therapy. I'm going to keep running throughout the whole summer as long as I can go because it's beautiful. I'll deal with the rest and the physical therapy over the winter. I'm going to put that off. You ever like that? I'm just going to put it off and hope it doesn't get worse. You and I both know there are situations in your life and sin in your life that you need to deal with today. And you're being nonchalant. You're not being deliberate. And I guarantee you, it's going to get worse. Guaranteed. Go ahead. Just keep putting it off. Let me know how that goes. Are you going to be deliberate under the power of God? Or are you going to say, well, I'm going to wait till I'm not so busy because I'm just so busy I can't give attention to it. I'm going to wait for Christmas break to deal with it. Remember when you said that you were going to wait till the summer to deal with it? And now you're going to wait till Christmas to deal with it? And then you're going to wait till the next summer to deal with it? Deliberate. God is calling us to be deliberate in dealing with those sins and sufferings and problems in our life that we have the ability to deal with. He's calling us to be deliberate. Let's keep going. just keeps getting better. Verse 18. We are told here that David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, whether um, a spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Yay! Right? By the grace of God... He gets it all back. Everything that was taken, nothing is missing. David brings back all the wives, the children, the animals, and all the stuff. This is God's grace and victory. Praise God. God pulled this off. And yet David, he recognizes that it is God's grace, but some of the people with him, they don't see God's grace in this. Look at verse 21. Then David came to the 200 men, remember those guys left behind, who had been too exhausted to follow David and had been left at the brook Besser. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came nearer to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. 
So these soldiers have more of this spirit of Saul, this harsh spirit. Let them just get their wives and kids and get out of here. They do not deserve any of this spoil. They're harsh. But look at the gracious spirit of David, verse 23. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers. For what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this manner? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statue and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. Isn't that good? This is just a practical expression of God's grace. David realizes that what he has is given to him by the Lord. Those who fought in the battle and those left behind will get the same of the spoils. This is grace pouring out on the grace and becomes standard military procedure moving forward. But look at David continue to spill out grace. Look at verse 26. Then David came to Ziklag. He sent part of the spoils to his fields. The elders of Judah saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel and Ramoth, the Negev, and Jatir, and Aror, and Sifmoth, and Eshtemoa, and Rachel, and the city of the Jeremiahites, and the cities of the Kenites, and Hormah, and Borashan, and Athak, and Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. This is, this is great. He's not even on the throne yet. And he is acting like a king, endearing himself to the people. He's pouring out grace upon grace. And that's what, what you do when you realize that God has poured grace into your life through Jesus. You let it spill out onto others. But Saul, we see throughout the book of Samuel, his harshness, killing the priest. He's a harsh man. And I'm just wondering, when the pressure is on you, when things are being pushed down, is your disposition one of graciousness or harshness toward others? If you don't distribute grace, you don't get grace. Like you have some psychological or emotional or heart issue. If you are not distributing grace upon others, then you just don't get it. That God has poured grace out you, onto you through Jesus. My wife was telling me a story last night. I'm not going to get to the details, but just of a, of a husband and wife are just so gracious to a difficult adult child. Just patient, talking through things, gracious disposition. It's like, I, I want that. When my kids blow it, I want to be gracious. Don't you want to be like that when you're at work and your coworker blows it? You have this gracious disposition. When someone's in need, you have a gracious disposition. As God has poured grace out on you, Jesus, so it just spills out of you onto others. That's, that's, that's awesome. Now, I'm going to give you the overriding contrast between these two. Stick with me. This is where it gets really good. Here's the overriding contrast between these two, is that Saul, we are told, one scholar puts it this way, that Saul is an irrational tyrant, and David is a passionate God-pleaser. When life is loading them both up, Saul, tyrannical tyrant, David, just gracious, God-pleaser through all. Now, I want to show you something here. This is, where, this is the grand finale. This is so awesome. Okay, I've been, I've been waiting for this. Rather than me just saying, hey, you need to, you need to be like David, that's, that's not always going to work out, right? But I do want to tell you this. There is a king that is better than David. Because David, come to 2 Samuel, is going to blow it a number of ways. 
But when we bring it all back to King Jesus, let me give you the rundown of King Jesus. So just look on that side over there. King Jesus. We are told from the Bible that King Jesus sought the Father in all things. We see him praying and seeking the face of God while life was loading up King Jesus. We see King Jesus depending upon God's sovereignty as the Father worked all things for his glory in his life, death, and resurrection. We see King Jesus in deliberate and heading to the cross to deal with sin. And we see King Jesus pouring out his grace on sinners. Those who repent and put their faith in Jesus can be forgiven. Throughout his life, he was a passionate pleaser of his Father. He is the ultimate king. Now, this is where it gets really good. Once again, stick with me on this grand, grand finale here. You're on this side. You're on the King Saul side. And we are told from the Bible that we can be forgiven on seeking the ways of the world through repentance and faith. So if you have failed and sought the ways of the world recently, you can be forgiven through King Jesus. We can be forgiven as we try to deceive and manipulate our ways through life. We can be forgiven of our nonchalant attitude to the commands of God. We can be forgiven when we are being harsh with others through repentance and faith. We can be forgiven of our irrational, tyrannical ways through faith in Jesus. King Jesus forgives us. Now, this is where it gets really cool. He forgives us by grace through faith, fills us with his spirit, and boom, we're back on this side. And now when we feel pressure by God's grace, we can seek the Lord. When life presses us down, we can be dependent upon his sovereignty. We can be deliberate in obeying and nonchalant, not nonchalant, but aggressive in obeying the commands of God. And we can have a gracious gracious disposition where we please and love God and love others. That is what King Jesus can do. That is sweet. Wouldn't you agree? That is what King Jesus can do in your life. Because throughout your life, life is going to load you up. Pressure will come down. But by God's grace, we can respond in such a way we please our Father. Now, I want to give you an update about a year later on this terrible past year that I have experienced that I'm hoping I'm done telling these stories. I I would like to report to you that after a year later, things are a a little bit better. My uh, number one child, he's back to playing golf again. He, he has to wear a football helmet, but he's playing golf. It's, it's, it's totally cool out there doing that. Um, my wife and I, we're, just, we're getting along and encouraging. We, we just celebrated our, our 18th uh, anniversary. It's a big deal. And, and my, my son, um, number six, the one who's had a lot of problems, he's still got challenges, but things are getting better. And all, through all the legal, legal crazy, Lord willing, by God's grace, we're supposed to go to court this Wednesday to actually adopt him. I was like, wow. I mean, it's like it just takes some time. I mean, stuff progresses. You've got to kind of hold on. You don't know what's going to happen. But, but I want to tell you this. Life's going to load me up again. I know it's, it's going to come back. I know life's going to load up again. And we know it's going to compound for some of you again. But you know what? My brothers and sisters, let's find ourselves going to the Lord and maybe when you don't see me going to the Lord, maybe you can carry me there. <laughs> I'll carry you there. Let's find ourselves going to the Lord and finding Him strength and finding rest in our sovereign, gracious King. Let's pray.
Lord, I know there's a lot of my brothers and sisters who are in circumstances that have not reversed, at least not yet. Maybe they never will. I just ask that you would be with them and encourage them that in you, even in the unknowns, they can be strengthened. They can be strengthened and find grace and mercy to help them in time of need. And Lord, I want to pray for that guy in here. I don't know who he is. Maybe it's several of them. There's several guys in here that are not being deliberate. There's something they need to deal with, whether it's a sin or a circumstance. There's a guy or several in here that need to deal with that, that circumstance, that relationship, that sin. They need to be deliberate. Lord, I just ask that you would make us dependent people. You're not calling us to fix things. You are the king. Things are ultimately fixed when you come back. Help us to trust you as we set out. And we set out through a lot of unknowns and a lot of pain. And we find in you, you are a gracious, sovereign king. Thank you for holding on to us. In Jesus' name, amen.